Hi, welcome to the shallow dive on the Dafyomi. I hope you enjoy. Let's take a look. Pebez Medvez from the third line. Oma Rabbi Yehuda Amar Shmuel. Rabbi Yehuda says the name of Shmuel. Nadra Meshteki Karos. A woman took a vow prohibiting against herself that she cannot consume two loaves, two loaves of bread. Ha'achas mis'ano, ba'achas e'en mis'ano. One of these loaves of bread, if she does not have them, will cause her inui, affliction, and one of them will not cause her affliction. If she doesn't eat the second loaf, no problem. So here we have a machlokas. What is the power of the husband or the father, if she's younger, to be mayfair, to nullify her vow? Says Shmuel, mitoch shu mayfair limitsana mayfair l'sheinimasana. Since the husband is able to nullify the aspect of this vow that restricted the woman from eating the loaf of bread that would cause her suffering by not eating it, he can also nullify the vow, the other part, the loaf that doesn't matter. It's not an inuit for her. So everybody agrees that the husband is not allowed, not able to nullify his wife's vow if it's not something that would cause her any type of inuit, any type of distress, in this particular case, she made a vow that has two components. She's not going to eat two loaves of bread. Not eating one of them will cause her distress. Not eating the other one will not cause her distress. Here's where we have the debate. According to Shmuel, since the husband is able to nullify the part of the vow that would cause her distress, he can nullify the whole thing. In the name of Rabbi Yochanan says, He says, no. The husband can only nullify the aspect of the vow that would cause his wife distress, and he cannot nullify the other part. So she said she's not going to eat two loaves of bread, she's taking a vow. The one that would cause her distress, that she's not eating, that part he can nullify. The other part, so it doesn't distress her to not eat the second loaf, he cannot nullify that. That's Rabbi Yochanan's opinion. Vika Damri, there's an alternate Alternative version of how this was taught. Bominei Rav Asi Rabbi Yochanan. That Rav Asi asked Rabbi Yochanan. Nadra Mishdeki Karos. If a woman took a vow that she's going to abstain from eating two loaves. Ba'achas misana, ba'achas e'en misana. One would be a source of affliction for her. And abstaining from the second one would not cause her affliction. Ma'u, what is the halacha? Amalei Rabbi Yochanan responded to Rav Asi. Me'fil misana ve'en me'fil she'en misana that the husband can nullify the vow that would be a source of affliction for her and not he's not empowered to nullify the vow that would not cause her affliction. The two versions are very similar. And Rabbi Yochanan is against Shmuel. Rabbi Yochanan is of the opinion that only matters of inui, matters of affliction to the wife, can the husband nullify. We have to get into... Precisely what the Svaras Machlokas is, what, what the 
point of their disagreement is what are they arguing about? But first, let's let's take a look at Rashi. In terms of the vow, one, she said, she's not going to have two loaves. One is a source of affliction, one is not. If she doesn't have even one loaf, she's going to be hungry. That's her, her daily diet. She has a loaf of bread. She's not that big or hungry. She doesn't have two loaves of bread. She has one loaf of bread. And if she doesn't have the one loaf, she's going to be afflicted. Like we say in Yom Kippur, you shall afflict yourselves on the Day of Atonement. That means going on a fast day. So if she doesn't have the one loaf, that's what she would otherwise have for her meal. So it's going to be a source of affliction. But if she has one loaf, she's going to be satisfied. She doesn't need the second loaf. And there's no element of affliction by holding herself back from eating the second loaf. She anyway wouldn't want to eat the second loaf. So again, on this, Shmuel says, Since the husband is able to negate the vow that is an affliction for her, he can also negate the vow that is not going to cause her affliction. Says Rashi, with the same hafara, hafara is a process. There's a distinction between hafara and hatara. There are two methodologies of countering a vow that's made. The the general principle of hatara is going before a scholar, a sage, proficient in the laws of vows, and he'll evaluate if there's adequate grounds to render the vow essentially metabitos, a vow that was made in error without comprehension of what the consequences would be so he can undermine it from its inception. That's called hatara. person can't do that on their own. person has to go to a chacham, to a rav, to, to a matineder. Would you go to a base then today to do that? You go to a base then yeah. yeah, sure. Okay. And <clears throat> hafara is a process whereby the father or the husband or sometimes in partnership, depending on the circumstance, neutralize the vow. And this is not predicated on any type of uh, lack of cognizance on the girl's part, the woman's part, of the consequences. She knows full well what it's going to entail. She doesn't care. She wants to go ahead with this vow. They have the capacity, the Torah empowers them to neutralize this vow. So, the hafara, according to Shmuel, osa hafara shehefer lemisana, with the hafara, the the neutralizing of the vow, where the husband is empowered to do so because one loaf is causing her, you know, it's causing her distress, so he can also negate the other part of it. She's then going to be permitted to actually consume both loaves. What is the root of the extension of his power? She took the vow in one go. She said, I'm not eating two loaves. So since it was one vow, because that one vow has a, a component which entails affliction to herself, the husband can negate the entire vow. 
once he's empowered to negate part of the vow, he can knock out the entire vow. The istimafashi does an alternate explanation. The achas misana. What does it mean that one of the loaves is a source of inui, a source of affliction for her? Sha'achas pasnakia vitova. One is fine flour bread. It's a, a very good, fancy artisan loaf. Wonderful. Vim meno. If she doesn't have from this loaf, ika inui. She's going to be suffering. This is a good, good loaf of bread. And the other loaf, this is not going to be a source of affliction for her. She passed subin. This is bread made out of bran. Bran bread. Not exciting. It's, it's food. If she's really, really hungry, she'll eat it. But it's not really exciting. It's, sometimes you got to eat. So, and she really has no interest in it anyway. And there's no affliction to abstain from eating this low-quality bran bread. She doesn't eat it. No big deal. Nonetheless, it will be permitted to her when the husband negates, neutralizes the vow, the component of it that entails inui, entails affliction, because it's a very good quality, high quality, fine bread. One vow, he can knock out the other part also. That is Shmuel. Rabbi Yohanan disagrees. He says, no, he can only knock out the part that is subject to Inui, the affliction for her. Continuing Rashi, he cannot negate the part that does not cause her any type of affliction. So we saw the two interpretations. Either it's the second loaf, they're both the same quality bread, but the second loaf just, she's not going to be hungry for that. Talking about her allotment for the day. Or one is a high quality bread, the other is an inferior quality bread. Regardless of the interpretation, Rabbi Yochanan says the husband cannot negate the entire vow, only the aspect of it which would cause her affliction. That part is not negated when he negates the part that he's empowered to negate. And he can't go and try again to neutralize it. He doesn't, he doesn't have the authority to neutralize this vow, this part of the vow, because there are two avenues of negation that the husband has. Either it's inui nefesh, either it's an affliction to her, so he can negate that, or or things that are between him and her. If it's going to impact him, then he can also negate it. So even if she's not afflicted, but it's going to impact him. He can say, this is going to ruin my day. No, thank you. Vow is neutralized. That's another avenue. So if it was like a monetary thing, which affects him, he could negate that. He could nullify that vow if, if his wife made that kind of vow. If it would be monetary, in, in theory, in, in theory, that could potentially, I mean, it depends on how. But yes, that, that's a possibility. If somehow it, it's going to even if it won't cause her distress, but, but interfere with their relationship somehow. So that would be... So like Shalom Bias. Basically, Got Shalom it. Bias. Okay. Somehow, it's going to interfere with Shalom Bias. In, in theory, if, uh, if you could have any example, but the idea is mm-hmm. if, if, even if it doesn't bother her, if it's going to bother him, that's enough that it's now impacting him. He can negate that. Another perspective is that really 
Every Inui Nefesh is a subcategory of Dvarim Shebeinot Veinot. Every time that it afflicts her, he's going to be getting a fallout. If she's busy, miserable, because she's fasting all day, he's, he's going to feel the brunt of that. So, yes, what's, why is he empowered to, to stop the vow, neutralize it, if it's going to afflict her? Because it's going to afflict her, he's going to get on the rebound, also afflicted. So, therefore, it's called Varm Shebeinot between him and her. That's what we say, uh, epi wife, epi life. Or... That's right. That's exactly right. So that's the this second interpretation. Happy life, happy wife. And if not happy wife, not happy life, therefore, and he, he can neutralize it because, hey, this is going to interfere. It's going to give him a hard time. So she's not going to be afflicted in a vacuum. She's going to be afflicted and miserable and make him miserable. All right, let's take a look at the Ran. Omar, Rav Yehuda, Omar Shmuel, not Rav Nishtiki Karos. Rav Yehuda said in the name of Shmuel, if she took a vow, restricting herself from two loaves, Kegon, De Amra, Shtiki Karos, Eilolai. She said, these two lo- loaves are prohibited for me. Ba'achas Misane, Shipas The Ran learns, like the second idea, Rashi says, that the one loaf is a fine flour loaf, and not being able to eat it will be a source of affliction for her. Ba'achas Misane, she passed Kebar. One is not a source of affliction because it's not an exciting loaf of bread. It's uh, just uh, a black bread with, uh, with, as Rashi said, with bran. It's not not very... Uh, it's nutritious, but that's about it. So she'll, she'll be satisfied if she eats it, but it's not exciting for her. It's not called Inui for her not to have it. Not an affliction. Mitoch, Shehumefa Mesan is synth. In the opinion of Shmuel, she's able to neutralize the vow that causes Inui. She's afflicted with it. He can nullify that vow. He's also empowered, according to Shmuel, to negate the other aspect of the vow that cause, that does not cause any affliction. Both are like two peas in a pod. They're both restricting from eating. So, therefore, one is dragged along with the other. It's it's not two totally disconnected things. Even though uh, one is, is really a source of affliction, the other is not. But they're both restricting her from eating. So, that's because he can nullify one, he can nullify the other get further into this type of gurara, this dragging one with the other, how that works. And even if he doesn't speak out explicitly that he wants to negate both aspects of what she said, if he says, I'm negating, neutralizing this vow, according to Shmuel, it's neutralized. Both aspects. The other opinion, Rabbi Yochanan holds, Yohanan says, no, the husband's authority is limited. Only something that will cause affliction, nothing more. There's no dragging along a, a greater authority beyond something that will cause her affliction. Therefore, not only does he disagree in a case where the husband just said, in a generalized sense, I'm neutralizing your vow, but he said explicitly, this loaf and that loaf, you can eat them. 
He's neutralizing both. Doesn't work. He's not able to. The emesanet, he says, beferish, masanet the emesanet, eno mufar, He's only capable of neutralizing the vow that would cause, the aspect of the vow that would cause her affliction, and the other part is binding still. Kach pirushu rabosai, this is the explanation that I received from my masters, my teachers. Vilora isi, echmehem, begrodishmol tamlo. And I didn't find any of them, any of them really explaining why is it that Shmuel holds that there is an expansion of his capacity, the husband's capacity, to neutralize the vow? We did see in Rashi that it's because it's one vow. It was said at once. But the Ram says he didn't find among his teachers a, a, a clear explanation of Shmuel's position. And in my opinion, what are Shmuel and Rabbi Yochanan arguing about? The verse says, and her husband shall neutralize the vow. And we derive from this verse later on in the Gemara, that the husband needs to neutralize the entire vow. And if he only neutralizes part of the vow, then even the part that is that he tried to neutralize will not be neutralized. Meaning it's all or nothing. She makes a vow. If he negates only part of it, then even that part is not neutralized. There are different texts, but he says that's the primary text over there. As I will write about it with divine assistance. For this reason, it is stated, Since she took a vow, restricting herself from eating two loaves, It is like one vow. And he's not able to just neutralize half the vow, he has to neutralize in a, in a broader way. Since, in order to actually knock out the part of the vow that would cause her affliction, he's got to knock out the entire vow. In order to prevent her from having this affliction, so he's able to neutralize the rest of the vow because it's a package deal. It's one vow. And therefore, the the only way for him to neutralize the specific part, he can't target just the inuinefesh, the, the affliction part. He's got to neutralize the whole vow, and therefore he's empowered to do that because he, he can only neutralize in the way that he can, and he is able to neutralize the part that would cause her affliction. Because if you say... Too bad. You can't do part and you can't do it all. Then it would come out that if he tries to target just the aspect of the vow that would cause her affliction, it's nothing. Since the, the Torah gave the jurisdiction of the husband to neutralize her vows that have inuinathesh, that, that have an element of affliction, it must be that he's capable of neutralizing even the parts 
that do not inc incorporate some element of Inuit of affliction for her. Because since it's one vow wrapped together, the part that causes her affliction is dependent on the part that does not cause her affliction. So if he's able to neutralize the part that causes affliction, that's the grara. It's dragged along with, it's, if you could say, collateral damage. He's, he's empowered to, to knock out the, the part that causes her affliction. He can't do any less in order to be effective, so he's able to do more. If you say that he can't, he can't even effish. So she's going to be stuck with this sense, uh, uh, stuck with a vow that's going to cause her affliction, which either is its own avenue uh, of rishos that the, the husband is empowered to negate, or the second epitome of Rashi, it's a subset of varm shebenolavino, matters between them, which he's it's affecting him. Rabbi Amr that's all explaining Shmuel. What does Rabbi Yochanan hold? He can issue a targeted negation and neutralize only the part of the vow that will cause her affliction. And he cannot neutralize the rest. What does Rabbi Yochanan hold? Granted, the Torah says, that, that the husband can negate, neutralize the vow. It sounds like the entire vow. Velo palge, not half the vow. And That only means, according to Rabbi Yochanan, that he needs to neutralize the entire vow that he's empowered to neutralize. He can't say, you know what, Th this idea of you going on a diet, you're going to be a bear today if you don't eat anything. I'm going to neutralize half of the one loaf, so you'll be half half in a bad mood because you, you're going to eat half the loaf and not eat half the other loaf of the one. That is what it means you, you can't do that. Once he's neutralizing the vow, in order to be effective, he has to knock out the entire element of the vow that he can. So that's the way Rabbi Yochanan learns. Not that it expands to other parts of the same vow that are not going to cause her any type of affliction, but once he's neutralizing the vow that causes affliction, he has to neutralize every aspect of it, of that, uh, of the affliction, in order for the neutralization to be effective. So, that's Rabbi Yochanan's opinion. He agrees the verse sounds like he's got to do the job, but what does that entail? The, the scope of how much he's got to do, Rabbi Yochanan says everything he can, and according to Shmuel, if it's one vow, he's got to do it all, even the parts that otherwise are not subject to his neutralization. Therefore, according to Yochanan, we understand that as long as he neutralizes the entire part of the vow that would cause her suffering, so then it's effective. And he cannot do more. And if so, that you have a question. Shmuel says that the, the negation sounds like the entire vow. 
even the aspect of the thou that is not mehaneu gavnu demotzi ba meifer okirik asidno tik shelei masnis netnan netu al min yehudim yavre chalkov tehei mishamosav tehei netu al min yehudim amai he has a question according to Shmuel according to Shmuel that we have uh, Shmuel is the one the first opinion who says that he can neutralize the entire vow so he has a kasha from a Mishnah Tagamabes that if she says that she's taken away from the Jews meaning she's not going to have uh, uh, any any uh, benefit or be a source of benefit so the husband is empowered to neutralize his portion and then she can be a source of benefit to her husband but she cannot be a source of benefit for any other Jews. So you do see that there is an element of targeting just part of the vow. So how is Shmuel going to deal with the Mishnah? There's a Mishnah. Shmuel is an Amara. You can't argue with the Mishnah. So how does he deal with this Mishnah? Which sounds like the Biyotana. Why don't we say that this verse, which sounds like a broader neutralization of one vow, so she, the husband cannot neutralize the part that relates to him, he should be able to neutralize the entire vow. As the same train of thought. If he can't neutralize the whole thing, then he's not going to be able to neutralize the part that relates to him. So then... That's not giving him the power that Torah does uh, give him authority to, to negate. Eko lememar, says the Ran Eteretz. The answer, the Eshra Sphira lay lishmuel, perhaps Shmuel holds, Yafirenu demashma kule, that which the verse says Yafirenu, which implies the entire vow, below palge, and not half the vow, binu inafesh belchud, what you'll see. That is limited to the element of vows that he's able to negate because they are a source of affliction. And we do not find this same concept presented by vows that are between him and her. So this is, as we saw in the Rashi, there's two ways of looking at it. Do you say that he has two distinct avenues? The husband can negate the vows either that are causing her affliction or that are between him and her. Or do you say it's really all kind of one deal, that if it's if an affliction, it's going to be between him and her. It's all one thing. Here, the Ran is clearly differentiating between them. He's saying they are two separate tracks, two tracks of what the husband is empowered to neutralize. And when Shmuel says by us that once he's empowered to neutralize the aspect of the vow that will cause her affliction... He's got to take out the whole vow in order for it to be effective. Whereas over there, it's talking about something between him and her. It's not a matter of affliction. She's not going to benefit, be a source of benefit for all the Jews. He's Jewish. So he can neutralize that part of the vow. That's between him and her. But it's not a matter of inui nefesh. It's not a matter of affliction for her. So on that, says the Ran, perhaps Shmuel holds, you don't have this double or nothing deal, that she's got to neutralize everything in order for it to, he has to neutralize everything in order to be effective. No. Dvarim, Shebenovino, things that are just between the two of them, he can do in a targeted way. Masmisa la kamon, 
Okay, so he's presented a possibility. What is the rationale for this distinction? Now he's going to explain. And there is a, a, a certain logic to this. That the vows that are rooted in a source of affliction, the reason why he's empowered to neutralize them is because of her, the fact that it, it harms her to a degree. It's going to afflict her. So he's able to step in and stop the vow that she made from afflicting her because of her affliction. So they're ishto kegufo, they're in a, in a broader sense, one unit, and he can stop her from causing herself affliction. But it's because of her affliction, not because of him. Because of that, it's not, not reasonable to say, according to Shmuel, that he can negate it in part. Because the the inui, the affliction, is it, it incorporates more. Meaning this this vow has more to it, and and therefore if he's able to neutralize the vow because of her affliction, so he can he can do so. That's not a problem. Meaning, in order to stop her from being afflicted, he can take out the whole vow. The other track that he's empowered to neutralize her vows because it impacts him, that has nothing to do with her. It's only because it, it's going to impact him. If it doesn't really impact him at all, so there's no kapeda at all. There's no, there's no element uh, of, of ne- negative fallout for him if it really has no relevance to him. And the aspect that is a, a source of friction between the two of them, that he can be mater, he can mefir, that, that he can uh, literally untie. And it goes based on his own sense of things. So the mission over there, she says, she's, she's taken away, she's not going to be a source of benefit for the Jews. That vow impacts him, the part that impacts him is what he can slice out and, and neutralize, but only that. If it has to do with him, he can only make a targeted negation. But if it has to do with her, if it's inu inethesh, if it's affliction, so then anything that's in the realm of her suffering, she made it as one vow, according to Shmuel, that's that's broader. I mean, this, the whole vow really is about, as much as she's restricting it to herself, so there's a some element, even if it's Dimian, it's just her own idea. There's, there's a restriction here that is mm-hmm. she she's making this restriction, so somehow it's going to be an, a very subtle element of affliction, right? If she wouldn't have thought maybe to eat it, but now that she said she's taking a vow, she can't. So there's some it's 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 a broader restriction that is is also considered in the realm of Inui, even if it's not by itself an Inui. So. He can neutralize that whole vow. I have a question. Yeah. A wife can't nullify her husband's vow, right? Correct. Okay. Let's say that a husband makes a vow 
that will bring shalom bias, uh, not shalom bias, it would bring um, tension between the home. Mm-hmm. Um, what could he do in that kind of situation? Like, or like, you know, like the wife is not happy that the husband made this kind of vow. Well, depending on the vow, if he's got to keep it, so he could be forced to give her a bill of divorce and pay her oh, the, wow. gold, the golden parachute, the ksuba. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that, if he's not going to be able to be a good husband based on his vow, that, that could be the consequence of, of that. Could, could he go back, let's say he made this vow, came back home, thought his wife would be okay with it, you know, wife's like, no way, you know. Like, he could technically go back and nullify because it's... Not on his own. He has to go to a chacham. He has well, to go course, that's what to, I mean. to the I rav mean, yeah. and, and see Disgusted. if it's a legitimate Pesach. Yeah, yeah okay. a legitimate uh, opening to say that it was a nedabitok. So this vow was taken mm-hmm. uh, with, with uh, not an adequate realization of the consequences. And therefore, mm-hmm. it's neutralized from its inception. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's... That if, if, it, if he could do that, he can do that, yeah. If not, then if not, then he's uh, he's got to start putting together the, uh, the payout. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Ace So Gemara has a question. Aisha Shenadra Benazir, a woman made a vow that she will become a Nazir. and then she started drinking wine. Not a very good idea. Mm-hmm. Tamil Mason became impure by contact with the dead, which are no-nos for a nausea. She is now going to get 40 lashes. Well, 39. This is not a good idea. This is a violation of what the Torah said. She took on the Nazareth vow. Then she broke it. Okay? The Torah uh, presents consequences. Wait, you say a woman made a Nazareth vow? That's what it says, yeah. A woman can make an... A woman can make that vow? Sure. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. But, Heferlo Bailo, if her husband neutralized the vow, he says, what? No wine? This is terrible. <laughs> nah. This this is going to ruin our, our relationship. You got to have wine. <laughs> so, uh, so he can neutralize it. Vihilo Yada. Sheferlo. When he found out about it, they said, you know what your wife did? She became... A Nazir, Nazira. So he says, what? That's terrible. I'm neutralizing it. So she didn't know about that. She is busy drinking wine, thinking so she's she, not allowed to. So she, okay, hold on a second. So she doesn't even know he nullified the That's vow. right. Wow. But she would have had a, nonetheless broke the vow. Well, she thinks she broke the vow. But even though it's... Really, it was neutralized. But, so she... she Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Um, I'm assuming the answer is... So, and then she goes on drinking and she's hanging out in the cemetery and whatnot. She does not get the 40... Yeah, she does not get the 40 lashes. She... she, The the vow is neutralized. She's not in a zero. And if you say that like Rabbi Yochanan says, that he's limited in his authority. He can only neutralize in a targeted way. Only the parts that cause her affliction, not the parts that do not cause her affliction. So then, how how do we say that she's uh, not going to get lashes over here? 
If you say maybe it's not very much maybe it's James Anna. So Dilma Minayin Islotara Hefrila from the wine. She's gonna hold back from wine. She's gonna feel that a source of, of affliction. She's well, no wine. What kind of life is that? So that part he can say that's neutralized. But Minchatsan Minzog Lo Hefrila. But the prohibition of any part of the grape, including the skins and, and the seeds, which the Torah restricts. And Nazar is not allowed to have any grape product. But that's not an affliction. So not eating the skins and the, and the seeds is not much of an affliction at all. So if, that's not within his authority to neutralize. So the Ha, Lois Lutzara. Concerning that, there's no tsar. She should be subject to lashes. Why don't we say that he can't knock out that part and she should still get lashes? Why do we say, no, he's neutralizing the Nazarite vow and she's not going to get lashes. She should be able to get lashes if she does parts of it that will cause her, would, would not cause her affliction. Um, Rav Yosef Yosef said, Nazir is a package deal. And this is, even according to Rav Yochanan, who said that even within one vow, with the case of the two loads, he can only target the part that causes her affliction. But by a Nazir vow, it's a package deal. And therefore, part of the package has Ninui, has affliction for her, he can knock out the entire vow. So, you can't have partial Nazirus, so you can't say that she's a type of nausea that can't that she could drink wine, but she can't have the grape skins and, and seeds. That's not an option. Either she's a nausea or she's not a nausea, and there's no nausea to So therefore, he's able to knock out the whole nausea, even according to Yochanan, and therefore no problem. Yochanan can understand why, in this case, once he's made fair the nausea, he neutralizes her vow. There's she's not going to get lashes. Let's take a look at the Ramam on this for a moment. In a dory. Shama av o bal, if the father or husband heard, Vishasak and was silent, his intention was to make her feel the restriction that she's taken upon herself. Even though in his heart he did not want to have her actually subject to this vow. However, over young, if the day passed, lo he didn't actually neutralize it. Below bidzol, he did not negate it. This they are established. If you took a vow, and either the father or husband did neutralize it, but she didn't know about it, she didn't hear. And then she transgressed and violated what she thought was her vow, mm-hmm. or on her oath, bizodun, wantonly. Nonetheless, she's exempt from lashes, even though she intended to do a violation of the Torah. That's what she thought she was doing. Since, in fact, what she did was permitted, she's exempt. And on this case, the Torah said, and God will forgive her. Because her father held her back. So the Torah says, Rabbi Kiva was crying over this. He said, wow, she 
She tried to do this or she didn't. She still needs atonement, all the more so if somebody actually did a sin. They need atonement. But this girl, it's not just a easy atonement. The Rambam adds, And she does get rabbinic lashes. So she's not scot-free. She did try to do a violation of the Torah. So uh, she had bad intentions, and she doesn't get the biblical lashes, but the rabbis have their own sticks, and she's going to get lashes rabbinically. When did, when did uh, Malchus stop? Malchus, you need a bezdin of smuchin to give Malchus. You need to have real smicha mm-hmm. to, to give Malchus. So, this is interesting that Rama points out over here. In this case, there's Malchus Mardas. Whereas, we find the Gemara and Shavuos, which the Rama Paskins, that a person can neutralize the vow. Let's say he said, we saw this last time we saw a person takes a vow, they're, they're not going to eat a loaf of bread. Mm-hmm. And then they eat the loaf of bread. And they're on their way to get lashes. And they quickly ask the Chacham, they say, Rabbi, can you please help me? Just this is what happened. I didn't really realize what's going to happen. If he can find a Pesach, a way to nullify the vow, then he'll get out of the lashes. Mm-hmm. Even though it was already consumed. The loaf is gone. He ate it. Nonetheless, since there's some practical future events, either if it was intentional lashes, or if it was unintentional, a sacrifice in the temple, if there is something going forward that it's relevant for, that that could still be neutralized. And over there, he doesn't say, nonetheless, since there's an intention to do a violation, there's Marcus Myers. Interesting, he doesn't say that. Only over here does he say that she gets rabbinic lashes because she tried to violate the Torah. Over there also. He tried to violate the Torah. He, he knew that he just took a vow. He's not going to eat this loaf of bread. Then he ate it. But the, the mechanism appears to be different. Which is complicated. It is complicated. Meaning, the, the Ramam himself seems to describe the process of hafara, of neutralizing the vow from the father or husband's perspective as a a nullification from its inception. So it sounds like Hatara. Though it's clear that the Ramam is, is not treating it entirely like the nullification of the vows. This is, this is one example. That by Hafara, the, the father or husband neutralizing it, there's still consequences for her, even, even though it's not biblically mandated, but rabbinically, they give her lashes. Whereas the other case of Hatara, that's totally erased from the beginning, there's not even the rabbinic lashes. So the, the, the Ramam does make it sound like they're very similar in Adarim, Yudgimel Beis, Ketad Mayfair, how does Hafara work where the husband or father neutralizes the vow? Omer, Mufar, O Bata. He says it's negated or neutralized, nullified. O Ein, Nedazakum, or he says this vow is nothing. Kiyotzbedvarim, some similar type of phraseology, Shinyonim, that the, the matter that he's trying to convey, Akira's Hanedemikar, is uprooting the vow from its source. That is what Hafara is. It doesn't matter whether it's in front of her or not in front of her. But if he said to her, I don't want you to make this vow, or there is no vow here, he did not actually neutralize the vow. He has to use the, the sharper 
more precise phraseology. And similarly, if a man says to his wife or to his daughter, it's forgiven for you, it's permitted for you, it is not restricted for you, any other type of verbiage which is consistent with with the nullification of vows, that the, is generally applicable, not just on the day it was heard, but with a Pesach of Harota, with a, uh, essentially saying it was a vow that was offered in error. So the father or husband can't do that. He said nothing. They are not empowered to do Hataras Nadarim. They're not empowered like the sage, the, the one who was able to evaluate and determine that there is Charata and make a, a proper determination that the vow is neutralized from its inception. Rather, he uproots it, this vow, from its inception, and he is mefir. He, he neutralizes it that way. The, the Rambam seems to say that, again, and at first he says, Akirs neda mei karo, that's what he's described, uprooting the vow from its inception, and at the end he also says, He uproots the vow from its inception and neutralizes it. So, that sounds like it's a similar process, but in fact we see it's not identical. That, that's what we see by this first salah. Makin osa makas maris. By hatara, by the, the scholar, the sage, who uproots it, truly uproots it, by hatara, saying it was done in error, then there's no rabbinic lashes. Whereas if it's the father or the husband, so although it is uprooted, but not in the same manner. He, he tries to uproot it, but he's not effective in actually uprooting it from its inception. He has to use such phraseology, but it doesn't actually work that way. There is this uh, residual uh, shadow. The consequence of what she said has import, and therefore she gets lashes rabbinically. We'll see other consequences as well shortly, but it's not identical. It's, it's called Megis Gaius, we'll see. It's, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's neutralized, but not entirely from its inception. He has to use such a phraseology, but it doesn't actually work that way. So the Nazira is going to get lashes because... Rabbinically. She, rabbinically. No. Yeah. <clears throat> Whereas, if instead of her father or husband saying that he's neutralizing it, she would go to the Chacham, well, she has to go to the Chacham, so it's not going to... Uh, be helpful directly, but even in the case where she drank the wine and then she felt bad and she goes to the, the scholar crying, she made a mistake, didn't realize, blah, blah, blah. If it's a true Pesach and he's able to neutralize the vow from its inception, saying it was a vow made in error, then she would not get lashes rabbinically. Uh, that even, even though she... In a certain sense, it's worse. Meaning, when she drank it, the vow was still in effect, but when it's actually neutralized, it really is neutralized from its inception, because it's done in error, and it was that error was validated by the Chacham. She can't do it on her own, and nobody can do it on their own. I have a question. Yeah. So, like, are the laws of getting out of the vow the same for a man and a woman that are taking the, like the Nazarite vow? Yeah. So, like, they have to shave their head and all yeah. that stuff. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good point. That could be something between him and her. He doesn't. Like yeah. a particular haircut. Yeah. Uh, she's not. He's not such a big fan of the uh, Yifas Torah look. Yeah. Anyway. So.
Continuing the Gemara. Amr le Abaye v'hakarbon chatz nezirus ika. El Amr Abaye, ain nezirus lachatzon, ain karbon lachatzon. Abaye says, what Rav Yosef said is not adequate. Really, more should be said. There's no nezirus lachatzon. That part is correct. And also ain karbon lachatzon. Even the offerings of the Nazareth vow cannot be broken down into two. There's no half nezirus. There's no no uh, consequence of sacrificial requirement of half nazirs. So he, he goes a little bit further. Uh, let's see how the Ram speaks it out. Tisla Zabarim shall get 40 lashes. Im Isa, the Chihu Havli, the Tanalash, Minon Hach, Rabusa, Phil Hever, the Bailo, Sufegas, Phil Zabachat. Meaning that. Speaking at the question against Rabbi Yochanan, mm-hmm. Amr Rabbi Yosef says, in defense of Rabbi Yochanan, there is no Nazareth vow that can be done halfway. Since it's not possible that the Naziris uh, can, cannot be affected, cannot take place, the way the Torah described as a Nazareth vow incorporates the parts of the grape that are a pleasure, the wine, and the parts that are not so exciting, like the seeds. The ability to neutralize the vow that it is including Nazareth vow mm-hmm. means the entire thing. Also, the parts of the Greek that are not an Inui, that are not an affliction for her, so he can neutralize the whole thing. And therefore, she will not get lashes, even according to Biochon. Abai says, Is that adequate? You have a Nazareth for halfway. I mean, there is no Nazareth uh, vow that can be half affected. In Nazareth itself, there's no halfway. But the way Rav Yosef said it sounds like you could have half offerings, uh, sacrificial offerings of Nazareth. Kigon will be a case. Shenadra, that she made a vow to become a Nazir. And she's going through the minimum type of Nazareth vow is 30 days. So she's going through, keeping her vow for 15 days. Is there, is there a limit to how long that no, is? No, she can do her whole life. But the minimum and the, the basic uh, presumption, if it's not spoken out otherwise, is 30 days. So she's now counting. She's halfway through her vow. And then, her husband says, you know, you're going through withdrawal. This is terrible. I'm neutralizing this vow. You know, 15 days in, that's it. I'm done. I thought he has to nullify the day he heard that she's in a... Yeah, day. he said he's 15 days in and she's a wreck. Miserable. He's like, what's going on? Oh, so he just found out yeah. that she... Yeah, so then now he neutralizes it. You're correct. Now he neutralizes it. So, so it comes out that he's neutralizing the next 15 days. Mm-hmm. The 15 days that she already counted and did fulfill the Nazareth vow halfway. They're not uprooted. The Kamalam... The Gemara says in Nazir, the Baal Megas guides that the husband rips it up, but he, he rips from now forward, not the first part. Mm. Even though he has to, as we saw in the Ramah, and this isn't a debate in the Ramah and the Rush, the Tour, uh, the, the phraseology the Ramah requires is from its inception, but the effectiveness is Megas guides. The effectiveness is uh, when the husband or father are neutralizing, is from now on doesn't uproot it truly from its inception, even though he needs to use such a phraseology. 
There's no Nazareth vow halfway, and also the sacrifices she's not going to have to bring. Just like the Nazareth vow has to be a full 30 days, not less. Can't be halfway. He can't negate part of it. He can't say, you can be a Nazir that uh, is, is not going to be restricted from wine. But remain with a prohibition of the other parts of the grape that are not so exciting. With the skins and the, and the seeds, he can't do that. So too, the sacrificial parts cannot be done halfway. Any case where the, the husband neutralizes in the middle of her count, and he negates the upcoming days that she would otherwise have to keep of her Nazareth vow. Now that it's been neutralized halfway, it's only the second half that's knocked out, she does not bring any offerings. That's that's the... the, the there's no half Nazirs. So even if she did have Nazirs for 15, 15 days and Megiz guys, it's only ripped up from here on out. Mm-hmm. But still, she doesn't bring any offerings of Nazirs. We should be able to mix us for the half days, the, the, the half time that she did count correctly, the Naziris, Kvar, Shalom HaTorah, Lahavi Karban L'Chatan. The did not say to bring uh, offerings for half a Naziris, El Al Minaziris Shalom. Only if she completes the entire uh, period, which is not less than 30 days. Meisfei, Gemara Zakasha, Ha'isha Shenadra Bin Nazir, woman who took a vow to become a Nazir, Vifrisha Behemta, and she set aside her the animals for the offering offerings uh, of the anticipated offerings and then afterwards her husband neutralized the vow so what should she do she should bring a bird sin offering but not an elevation offering from the bird. And if you say that there's no carbon for why should she bring the bird sin offering? Rather, what would you say? That there is an offering for half Nazirus. If that's the case, then she should have to bring three animals. Not only of, but behemos. Chatos olo shlomi. She'd have to bring chatos olo and shlomi. Elo le'olam en kavon chatos Rather, like we said before, this is not to say that there is some partial fulfillment through the chatos of of half Nazirs. No, if there would be half Nazirs, she'd have to bring more. So, Chatasa'of, the Demasio, why does she bring this bird sin offering? Mishum, the Chatos, Asio, Al Hasafik. There's a special din that the Chatasa'of, the bird sin offering, 
can be brought on a suffix, on a case of doubt. And as much as it can be brought on a case of doubt, it can be brought here as well. But it is not to imply that there's carbon lechatzoin, that there's chatz naziris for carbonos, that the half naziris will entail carbonos. That's not the case. Let's take a look at the ran. Mesve. Mar brings a question. Aisha Shinodra bin Nazir. Woman took a vow to become a Nazir. Vifrisha Bamton, she set aside the animal. Kilomar. Shinimiskfar, Kodim Hafrashasa, Shabahim. The case, the Ran explains, is that she already became ritually impure, contact with the dead, before she set aside the animal. Kimadiktani Mevia Khatasaov. Since it was taught that she does bring the bird sin offering, Mamela Mashma Dinitma. That in, indicates to us that she became ritually impure. She Nazir maybe Khatasaov, Ella al Eskipuma. Because when is it relevant for a Nazir to bring Khatasaov, the bird sin offering? That is a case of Tuma when she became ritually impure. Vahadiktani the Frisha Behemta, and that which was taught. And she set aside her animal. Hainu la'asham. That's talking about for a guilt offering. She came nazir tami maybe behema la'asham. And nazir that became ritually impure brings a guilt offering. Larvusa nokta loma shafapi shefrisha behemta kodem And this is telling you uh, the novelty, the extent of the novelty, that even though this woman took on a Nazareth vow, she became ritually impure, then she set aside the animal for the carbon ashram, the guilt offering, because she became impure. Then her husband heard about it, neutralized it. Even though the animal was designated to be this ashram offering for the impure nazir prior to it being neutralized, nonetheless, the other aspects, like the elevation offering, that is brought from the bird, that is not brought because it was neutralized. And if you'll say there's no offering for half Naziris, for the days that she's already counted, since she did not complete the entire count of the vow, the full extent of the Nazareth vow that she accepted, even the part that she did count, it doesn't have significance, it doesn't have the status of Naziris. It was not not partial credit. So therefore, why does she bring this sin offering, the bird sin offering, for becoming impure? She that she became impure during this period, but now that it's been subject to hafara, you don't say chatzin Naziris. So why does she bring the chatasov? It should not be considered Naziris whatsoever. And if you'll say there is uh, the offerings to be brought for half Naziris, then she should bring three animals. In Lonitmus, if she did not become ritual impure, what are the three offerings? A regular Nazir brings a sin offering, an elevation offering, and a peace offering. The Hashda, Shinitmus, now that she became impure, there's another track for the Nazir that became ritual impure. So she should bring from birds a, a guilt offering, 
and an elevation offering and a sin offering. The, and the elevation and sin offering are from the birds. Inami, alternatively. Afilu nitmis, Even if she became ritually impure, she needs to bring three animals, larger animals, she can't get away with two birds, and a third animal for Asha. Since the husband is not empowered to uproot it from its inception, to say, no Nazir is here at all, but rather, Megis guys, he rips it apart from now on out. From the time when he's Mayfair and on, Nimsa Shemansa comes out that the half time, the 15 days of Nazirus that she counted, Stand in their place. Then she should have actually brought the carbonus that would be appropriate. After she becomes pure, after uh, that it should be completed. So, meaning. The, the question the Gemara is saying is, if there is Chathin because it's Hafara, she should have to bring the full Seder, full three animals. And yet we find this teaching tells us that she only brings Chathas Why is that? Because the bird sin offering comes on a case of doubt, given the Kelkuli Hai, since it's so light, the Al Safik Namiba, since it comes even in case of doubt, and we're not worried about Kulun Bazara. When it comes to Chathasof, in Adrasha, Chathasof is very light. So, fine. Therefore, it ain't an echos, it's not going to be consumed. As yinamil Chathasof So, the Chathasof is brought for Chathasof. But not the Olasof, not the elevation offering of the of the bird. It's a special leniency of Chathasof. Now, what is Shita Saramim here is, is hard to understand. Shita Saramim is very challenging. Let's look at the Ramam in Perak Tess of Hilchas Nazirus. Lachates and Yiralev. Ba'yishe Shenadra ben Nazir, a woman who took a Nazareth vow, ve'efrishak Manasseh, she set aside her offerings. Ve'achaka chetel abayla. Then her husband neutralized the vow. Im mishelo ha'isa behemo. If it was his animal, teitze v'tira be'eder she'en adam makti tapashen shelo. Then the animal is uh, taken out to pasture uh, in the flock because, meaning that that's totally undone to pasture in the flock. There's no concern of sanctity of this animal because a person is not able to consecrate something that's not his. So this woman, even though she set it aside, she's not empowered to do so, so it's ineffective. She's not able to. Nothing happened. So the animal goes back to the flock. If the offerings that she designated set aside to be sanctified were hers, the and the husband has no portion in them, for example, if they were given to her as a gift, on condition that her husband should have no authority over it, but rather she is fully empowered to do whatever she wants with these animals, and then she consecrated them to be as offerings, what do you do now? Now the husband neutralized the vow midway. Hachatos Tamos. 
Now we don't just say it's undone, because she was empowered to do this. So the chatos, the sin offering, should die. Ve'ha'ola, the elevation offering, take care of Ola, should be brought as an elevation offering. Ve'ha'shlomim, the peace offering, ne'kriva shlomim, should be brought as a peace offering. Ve'ne'cholim, the yom echad, and it's all eaten for one day. Ve'enan, tu'un alechem, and there's no need for the bread. In Alachid Aleph, the Ramam writes, Ma'isha shenodra bin Nazir, a woman took a Nazir vow, Vinitmis, the Sochim Nazirs, and she became ritually impure within the middle of the Nazirs. Ve'achakach Shamabayla, then her husband heard about it, the Hefila, and he neutralized the vow. Ha'rezumavia carbon tumma, she brings the offering of tumma. She brings the offering of tumma. What does that mean, the offering of tumma? So Raman speaks about it earlier in Naziris. Perigvav alochid alef. Tiglachas tumah ketzadi. How does the shearing of the hair, if the Naziris was interrupted with ritual impurity, how does it work? A Nazir shenitma achas menatumos shohu megalech lehem. A Nazir became impure with any of the forms of impurity that require him to Shear off his hair, to, to shave all the hair off. He needs to have a sprinkling of the mechatos, the red heifer water, ash water, on the third day and the seventh day, and shave off the hair of his head, on the seventh day, immerse in a mikvah on the seventh day, after the final sprinkling, like is the process for bringing all those that are richly impure from the dead back to a state of purity. Then, after the sun the sundown, on the eighth day, he'll bring the, his offerings on the eighth day. What are the offerings of Tumon? Either Two birds, either doves or turtle doves. One as an elevation offering, one as a sin offering. The keves ben shnoso, and a yearling lamb. Laashem as a guilt offering. And this undermines all the previous days that were counted. So, if the person accepted Stamnazir's 30 days, got through halfway. So now they became ritually impure. They have to start over again and count a full 30 days. We don't say they only have to do 15 more days after they come here. No, from the beginning. If the the shaving was done on the eighth day, he can bring the korbanos on that day. doesn't have to wait an extra day. Fine, so that's the Raman. Raman says, what is the, the procedure of korbanos tumah? As we saw in the Raman, the three animals are brought two of the bird offering, and one of the behemoth, of the the keves, is brought for the ashram, for the guild offering, for the, the lamb, the yearling lamb, and a pair of birds, one for Ola, one for Chatos, one for the elevation, one for the sin offering. And the Ramam says, again, by Aleph, that in Perktes Yedalef, the woman who accepted upon herself the vow, the Yenazir, and she became impure, and then her husband heard about it and neutralized it, 
She brings a carbon tumor. So she's going to bring this set of three. That's not like what Agamar says. Agamar says that if there would be some type of chatz in Yisiris, Sholosh Behemoth's boy, she should bring three animals, says Behemoth. So the Raman doesn't say Behemoth, doesn't say full Naziris, but close to it. Raman seems to say she should bring not just Chata Sa'ov, but also Ola Sa'ov, and also the Ashram. Raman seems to go all the way, very close to almost identical with Chatz Naziris. Although Chatz Naziris would be three Behemoths, three of the larger animals, uh, which would be like a regular set of offerings, uh, the, the three offerings that the Nazir would bring on completion, as opposed to the offerings that are brought for Tuma, uh, ritual impurity in the middle, to uh, process the ability to get started again from the beginning. Al-Kalpanim, this is controversial. The Meiri disagrees. The, the Pashat reading of Argamara, Gemara, sounds like the Meiri. Sounds like all that will be brought is the Chata Sa'of. Just the Chata Sa'of. Just the sin offering from the bird. Not even Ola Sa'of. The Ramam says, yes, Ola Sa'of, and yes, Asham from the Behemoth. That's the Meiri. Nazir. Lacharis Tafiches. Ha'isha Shinadra bin Nazir. A woman who accepted a vow to become a Nazir and became ritually impure in the middle. Then her husband neutralized the vow. Even if she has already set aside and consecrated the animals for the offerings, she still brings a bird sin offering, but not the elevation offering. And also not the guilt offering. Vavapi Sha'ola Darinu, even though an Ola, the elevation offering, can be brought just simply as a gift. So why not bring the Ola? Nonetheless, since it is hanging on the required offerings that are brought for Tuma, Aina Meviasa, she doesn't bring it. So since this elevation offering Although a normal elevation offering can just be brought at one's whim, but here it seems to be hanging on the required offerings for a Nazir who became impure. So she does not bring this elevation offering. It's not, a, not only is that the case, but this, this woman did not complete her Naziris. Uh, she did have partial Naziris, meaning when the, the husband came and neutralized with a hafara, even though it's called Megiz Gaiz, it's ripped up, meaning from here on out, the vow is neutralized, but it does not work like Hatara, which is uprooted from its inception, retroactively, nonetheless, the reason why she doesn't bring anything more than the chathasof is because ain carbon chath naziris, like Agamara says. No carbon, no offerings brought for half naziris. Even though there is some quasi half naziris, he doesn't, it, there's no hatara here, it was hafara, so it's neutralized from here on out. 
Not only that, even if she continued, she kept the Nazir's parallel case. She got all the way to the end. Until she has the blood sprinkled on her, Mayfair, the husband can neutralize that and, and prevent the requirement through his afara for also in a carbon. No offerings will be required. Rishematoma, meaning other than Chatazov. So maybe you'll say, Chatazov, Lama Mabioso, Yosmenachem. Why should she bring the bird sin offering? Barbiano, at time, we already explained the reasoning, at the end of Nadarim, Mipnei, Shechatazov Baal Safik. Chatazov is unique, it comes on a case of doubt. Ve'embabishim Safik, Chulam Bazar, there's no concern of Chulam Bazar. Achashan Nazir, Chotehu, since the Nazir is called a sinner, Iskiku, Lahavi Chatazov. Since there is an element of hate with a nazir, it's an element of sinfulness, the Torah requires to bring a chatasa'of, a sin offering, bifrat, that even on a suffix, we're not worried about Chulun Bazar, a case of doubt, chatasa'of is permitted to be brought, it won't be eaten, but it's brought. So, so what in here? There is some element of nazirs that, that chatasa'of is like a freebie, it's not called Kabbanas for Chatin it's you can even bring it on a suffix, so as much as there's some element of Chote, bring Chatasov also in this case. Midoli Machabrin, and according to the Rambam, Kosfu, Sha'isha, Shinadra, Benazir, Nitmis, Psochne Zirusov, Akra, Hefe, Levaila, Vilkarban Tuma. This is what we saw. The Rambam says in Allah Yidalef that she brings Karban Tuma. Nira, Tamishu, Megis, guys. Ubasasui, Kabbanasi. And the Rambam seems to learn that she'll bring the full package of Karbanas Tumo, which we saw will be the Chatos and Ola of Oath, as well as the Asham from a Behemo, which seems to be against what the Meiri is saying. The Meiri is saying that will not be brought. All that will be brought is the, the Chatos HaOf and nothing more. And the Meir explains why does the Ramam say this? It would appear the Ramam is understanding because Megas guy, since he only destroys it from here on out, so she is actually She can bring the Karbanas. She brings Karbanas Tumah because she's in the Pasha. She brings the full the full package. Ah, the Gemara says, in Karban Lachatzayin, that means she doesn't bring three behemoths. That she doesn't bring. But the, the part that she got through the Tumah, before the Hafara, that, that she actually does bring, according to the Ramah, against the Meir. Meir says, no, all that's brought is Chattas Oof. According to the Ramah, all three are brought, all three components of Korban Chattas uh, of Oof, and Olas Oof, and Asham of Behemoth. And as much as the Hafara only neutralizes from that point on, and she became Tmeya before the Hafara, so she brings the package of carbonus that need to be brought for Nazir became Tami. The Mishnah of Belach on Halach Yidalef, Tess Yidalef says, Yishish not of Nazir v'nit mis, fulu, v'ahid d'tanya, b'ekdala d'nazir, d'afchav b'ez, v'yishish not of b'nazir v'nit mis, v'achin chepel abayla, m'aviyah hatasov, v'ein m'aviyah olasov, v'mishum d'hai t'ana isle b'al oker n'edir. The opinion of the Gemara that says, that the Ola Sa'of is not brought, that all that's brought is the Chata Sa'of, that opinion is, according to the Shita, that the way 
Hafara works is to be ogre than other, to entirely uproot it from its inception. That it really works parallel to Hataras Nadarim, where the Chacham is Matyaneder. Avalili done, but according to us, the Kamlan that we conclude, the way we rule is, the Baal guys, the authority of the husband to be Mefer is not as extensive as the Chacham to be Matir. He only rips it apart from here on out. Then, Mevianami, Ola Sa'ov, Kriyasasa. According to that opinion, which is our, how we pass him, she will also bring Ola Sa'ov. Vekarba Asham, Menzivi Rashinir, Delomaisi. It sounds like from Rashi that nonetheless the guilt offering will not be brought. Nazir, who has got to start over, he's the one who has to bring the guilt offering. But since the husband ripped it apart from here on out, she's not going to have to start over again. And therefore, there's no need, according to Rashi, for the guilt offering, the Asham. Ah, nonetheless, Tosa says that's not the case. The Asham Nanamivia, she'll even bring the Asham. Not only Chatasov, not only Ola Sa'ov, but even the Asham. And that is the opinion of the Raman. The Raman says that she brings carbon tumah. She's going to bring all three animals. Chatasov is not controversial. Ola Sa'ov is somewhat controversial. And the Asham is more controversial. The Raman holds all three. So this differentiation that we see between Hatar and Hafara, the Raman, although in one place we saw, explains that the phraseology of Hafara is Akira, uprooted from its inception. Nonetheless, that's clearly not how it works. We saw one result of that, is that there'll be Makis Mardus in the case where the, there was Hafara as opposed to Hatara. In our case that we just mentioned of Nazir, we see that the Ramam holds, she's going to bring Karbanas Tumor, the full package. The Ramam is pretty explicit in Perik Yudbeis, Halachitas, Nadra ve'avra al Nidra, woman took a nether, and she violated the nether, Kodem Shafar Lavia, Obayla, before the process of Hafara, either her father or her husband has the ability to be made there, but she violated it before that far. Even though he hears about it on that day and then negates it. She's nonetheless liable for whatever she transgressed. If she was required to get Malchus, she'll get Malchus. If she has to bring an offering, she'll get an offering. We don't say that the hafara actually uproots it from its inception. He has to use such a phraseology. That's what he says. Kate said Mayfair. Dvarim Shinyanam Akiras Karo. That's what he has to say. Oker Umefiro. But that's not actually what happens. That's not how it works. The way it works is it's Megas guys. It's ripped up from now. And beyond, and therefore she's actually liable to either lashes or an offering when the father or husband hear about it and negate it, they neutralize it, but they're only neutralizing it from here on out. And if she became culpable for what she did, we don't say it's like Hatara, 
where she'll now be scot-free, innocent, no problem. Because of the Hataras Nadarim, it is truly uprooted from the inception, and she didn't violate anything retroactively. That's not how Hafar works, according to Rama. Rama Paskins make his guys. So, therefore, even though the Loshan that he uses has to be Inyonam Akir Saneda Me'ikoro, that's not actually how it works. The Bach, speaking out in Yerdeh, Reish Lamadalid, Nilchus Nadarim, is Medayak in the tour. He says, It appears that he disagrees. That the tour disagrees with the Ramah. in two matters. Echod, Ramah writes that one has hafara when he says, This vow is nothing. According to the tour, it's not called hafara. It is neutralized, negated for you. Or in some similar phraseology, nullified to you. That's one differentiation. What is the second matter? The Torah wrote, in a generalized sense, How is it that the vow is neutralized by the husband or father? He says to her, the vow is neutralized. It sounds like it's precisely and specifically in a phraseology of hafara. It has to be neutralized from here on out. And not with a phraseology that it's uprooted from its inception. That's the way the tour sounds. Ramam Cholik. Raman disagrees. That the husband also uses the phraseology of uprooting the vow from its inception. But that's just not how it works. But that's the phraseology. So they disagree. According to the truth, it's pretty straightforward. He, he says it the way it is. He neutralizes it from here on out. And that's the phraseology. The Ramam, I don't understand why, but that's surprising. The Ramam has a phraseology that uproots it from its inception, but that's not how it actually takes effect. It only takes effect from here on out. The guys. In the entire Gemara, it would appear, we did see this Machlokis, but the Bach says it seems that the dominant opinion of Al is that the Chacham, the, the, the Rav who's uh, approached to nullify that, uproots it from its inception. But the husband neutralizes it from here on out. But he is not empowered to uproot it from its inception. discusses this at length. Look nearby about the case of a woman who made a nether and somebody else tapped into that nether tried to generate their own nether as a Addendum, attachment to that original nether. That the Torah writes that the process of hafara is only from here on out. It's not uprooted from its inception. And the hatfasa works. We don't say that if it's done from its inception, the hatfasa is also meaningless. The, the secondary vow that was taken by somebody else on the heels of this first one, that could stand. 
The Rush says, and it's who is following the Rush, that he should speak it out in a way that is consistent with what's actually happening. The, the husband or father are neutralizing the vow. It has no rational reason that you're saying this was a vow made in error. It doesn't require a reason. Uh, the husband or father is empowered, has the authority to neutralize it, but the way it works is from here on out, and his phraseology should go accordingly. That's what the, the Rush says, and that's what follows him. Let's start here in the Ramah. Why he needs this phraseology that sounds very parallel to Hatars Nadar, even though it doesn't work like Hatars Nadar. Continuing in the Gemara, Ezfe, another Kashan. Aisha Shinadra Benazir, a woman took a vow to become a Nazir, Minitmis, and she became ritually impure, and then her husband neutralized the vow. This teaching that we say the woman has to bring the Ola the sin offering from the bird, like the Meiri Paskin, that's it. That's a simple reading. No further offerings are brought. So, as we saw, it's a machlokas. Ramam sounds like everything. We saw Rashi and, and uh, the Tosfos quoted in the Mishnah Melech. Balkoponim, we're, we're coming from the angle that this seems to be a kasha against Rabbi Yochanan. If you say, like Rabbi Yochanan, that the process of hafara is limited. The neutralization from the father or husband is only limited to that which causes the girl or the woman, Inui, a sense of affliction, and he is not empowered to neutralize anything else. Dilma miyayin dislatsara hefila. So we're talking about Nazirus. Perhaps from the wine, which her abstention from it will cause her a sense of suffering. That is he empowered to do hafara. But the tumas mace, the less letzara, the other part of the package that she's not allowed to come in contact with the dead, that would not seem to be a source of affliction for her. He should not neutralize that part. The Gemara answers on this question, Amri, as an answer to defend Rabbi Yochanan, the aspect of the Nazareth vow that it incorporates a restriction from contact with the dead, that also has an element of tsar. It's also a source of affliction. Why? Tersiv, as is written, and the living should take to heart. Vitania, and we have a brisa. Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir would say, What is the import of that which is written, and the living should take it to heart. He should offer a eulogy, and he will be eulogized. He should cry in mourning, and he will be cried over. He should bury, and he will be buried. So, the process of mourning for those who have passed on has various facets, and obviously a person can't honorably take care of themselves after they are dead, so the participation in the appropriate honoring of the dead 
if she is going to restrict herself from contact with the dead, she is cutting herself out of that loop and, in a certain sense, making herself vulnerable to not being taken care of properly as she is restricting herself from the appropriate uh, duty to uh, mourn, to eulogize, and to bury. So there is an element of affliction when she restricts herself here as well, so the husband can neutralize through hafara that aspect of the Nizirus as well. This part of the Gemara seems to be a Pella, because we mentioned earlier already, an Amaralath, that ain't Nizirus that's how we defended Rabbi Yochanan last time. So why don't we say the same thing over here? The Ran is bothered by this. Let's see the Ran. Amri Tumas Meis Nami Islotzara. By Tumas Meis, by contact with the dead, there's also an element of Tsar, and therefore empowering Hafara of the husband or father. Hi, the Parak Lehachi, the reason that the Gemara answers in this this fashion, Velo Parak, Enazir Slachatayim, Kid Parak Leel. Why didn't the Gemara say what we said before? Mara does not say, You don't have a half Naziris. There's some aspect of Hafara because there's some element of Inui. Restricting yourself from wine is called an Inui, it's called an affliction. So therefore, we said earlier, the parts that are not afflicting her, like restraining herself from eating the grape seeds, that's also knocked out. Why don't we say the same thing over here? A Nazir is a package of restrictions and requirements. So the even if we say there's no element of tsar in abstaining from contact with the dead, say that he's able to n- neutralize because of the other parts. That's not what the more answers here. Mishum de tuma The first heritage of the Ran is because ritual impurity is not fundamentally a necessary component of Nazirs. The Ashkech Nazirs below tuma. Because we do in fact find a type of Nazirs that does not incorporate a restriction from ritual impurity. Shemrei Nazir Shimshon. We find the Nazirus of Shimshon. Shimshon was a Nazir, a unique Nazirus. Also behind, he was not allowed to drink wine. And he was allowed to become ritually impure. As the Gemara says, Nazir So you see that you can have a Nazirus that is split, that the restriction on wine is in place. Wine is inseparable from grape product, even as we saw earlier. The, the parts that are not an Inui, like the grape seeds. But Tuma is theoretically separable, and therefore, maybe you could say he can downgrade it to Nazir Shimshin. Given the low Talia Tuma Benaziras, since the abstention from ritual impurity is not fundamentally necessary, and the entire Naziris depends on it, it's not the case. Ashinami, De Isal Isr Tuma below Isr. Perhaps we could split them, and therefore the first answer we gave later, you can't just negate part of Naziris, would not be applicable here. It's specifically in a case of dividing up the restriction on Greek product between wine and other things. That's in, you're not able to differentiate that. That's a package deal. But the difference between yain, wine, which entails a sense of, uh, of affliction for her, and ritual purity, if it would not entail a sense of affliction, maybe we could split that. Inami, alternatively, the Gemara wants to give the true answer. The low Gesagadite, that even though what we answered before perhaps could be applicable here, maybe a regular Naziris 
we do say it's a package deal and there's no difference between various great products and wine and also ritual impurity. It's all one package in a regal in his ears. But nonetheless, the Gemara wanted to say, your Hanukkah is just not right. There is an element of Inui Nefesh, of a sense of suffering for her, even by abstaining from contact with the dead. And the Gemara wanted to give the true answer. The Intumus Meis Tsar, that's what we thought originally, it's not called Tsar. The Lesa, that's not the case. Ela Tsar Isla, there is an element of affliction for her by restraining herself from contact with the dead. Nafgamina, and why is this relevant? If she took a vow that she's not going to go to the house of mourning, nothing to do with Naziris. This is important for other vows. If she takes a vow, she's not going to, to the cemetery, so her husband is empowered to neutralize that vow because it's called Inu Nefesh, because there's an element of her restraining herself in a way that is uncomfortable for her, painful for her. There's an element of affliction here. She's exposing herself as vulnerable by not taking a role in the appropriate dealing with the dead. So if, if, if that's what she's doing, she's going to feel a sense of suffering now, the husband can neutralize that. The Lukute Rashi speaks out, Since mourning is the conclusion of every person, the end of each person is to come to this consequence. Therefore, the living should give it to heart. All that I will act in kindness with the dead, I will need it that I will be the recipient of this kindness. When I die, all the various components of taking care of the dead properly, that's something that I'm doing now and I will need to have others do it for me later. So this, if the woman takes that, she's not going to the cemetery, so she's restricting herself from that role. She's, again, making herself vulnerable and therefore, there's a sense of Inui, and the husband can restrict it, nothing to do with You're right, that's true, but there's a more fundamental answer over here that has relevance even beyond the context of Nazir. So the Gemara said, in the second territory, the Gemara said the true answer that the Hanukha was wrong, and the, the scope of restricting yourself from Tumas Mace is within the, the jurisdiction of Hafarah.